The Bob Murphy Show, episode 256. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews, conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. So today I'm going to be walking through the libertarian, specifically in the Rothbardian tradition, approach to the definition of the state. I'm going to explain that first of all, and then I'm going to try to apply it to the real world and then just show you how Rothbardians think about these things. And the motivation for this, why I decided to go upon this topic is on Twitter. So it's a bit dated now, like this was happening maybe a month ago or so. And then I wrote down my ideas for the show and time got away. But there were people who had been hip deep in the Rothbardian camp. And then we're getting frustrated and thinking that the Rothbardians were giving glib answers to tough questions and just trying to just use definitions rather than like grappling with real world issues, that sort of thing. So I thought, you know what, there's enough here. And I could see even a lot of Rothbardians didn't seem to know like what the basics were and stuff like this. So that's kind of the point of this episode is that when it comes to the state and what its definition is, and then, you know, practical questions like, well, gee, if we started out in a state of, or a state, in a condition of, to avoid ambiguity, anarcho-capitalism, how would we prevent the reemergence of the state? You know, that sort of thing. All right, so that's what we're doing in this particular episode. So, first of all, what is the definition of the state in the Rothbardian tradition? So, in Rothbard's book, The Anatomy of the State, he says early on, right out of the chute, right out of the gate, He's explaining what the state isn't, and he's saying it's not us, it's not like the people, it's not people coming together in a social contract, and da 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 So then, after going through all that, now I'll just start reading a little bit of it. If then, the state, and by the way, if it helps, if it matters to you, throughout this, when Rothbard says the state, the S in the word state is capitalized. Okay, so probably goes without saying, but we're not here talking about Massachusetts or New York or California, we're talking about the state as this political institution. Okay. So notice, actually, let me just mention, let me go off on a little bit of a tangent first. A lot of times in the libertarian Rothbardian type tradition, we use the term state and government interchangeably or political institutions or something like that. And I personally have come around to the idea that that's actually not helpful because for a lot of people, the government, especially if you take out the word the and just say government, is a more fundamental or a broader category than the state. So like the state is a particular type of governmental structure, but you could imagine, according to a certain reasonable way of using these words or terms, you could imagine a situation where there's a society that definitely has a government, 
or certainly has government without any kind of article in front of that term, but doesn't have a state with a capital S. All right. And so, for example, when I used to write articles for lourockwell.com when I was in grad school, so this would have been in very late 90s, early 2000s, and I would rail against the government, you know, and say, let's get rid of the government. We don't need a government. And some Christian Rothbardian types emailed me and said, no, 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 we're not against government. Like in a biblical society, the family, for example, would be a form of government and the church provides government. And so the difference though, is like you're, at least with the church setting, you're voluntarily submitting to the authority of the church elders over you. And if you anger them, they're not going to take your house or they're not going to take your car. They're certainly not going to send you off into war. They're not going to take your kids from you. But what they can do is expel you from the church and say, you're no longer a part of this body. All right. Now you don't get to choose your family. So that's a little bit more awkward if you're, if everything's about consent. But again, the family provides in this way of thinking, in this way of using these terms, a form of government. And so these people writing to me at the time were saying, so Bob, I think it'd be more helpful if you were more specific that you were against the state or the political institutions, not government per se. So in that sense, they were using it to mean more like the institutions or the structures that are in place in a society to maintain order or you could also say like in terms of law enforcement, right? So those aren't necessarily identical, especially if you're looking at the church, unless you're looking at it as God's law. But in any event, certainly Murray Rothbard did not think that anarchy meant there's no rules. He didn't think it meant there are no laws. He didn't even think it means there's no law enforcement or to avoid double negatives. I could say, in Rothbard's view, the ideal ethical society that was in accordance with his views regarding the non-aggression principle and so forth would still have law enforcement. There would still be people whose job it was to go physically stop lawbreakers, and there would be judges, and there would be courts, and there would even be prisons. All right. So if you think an anarchist can't endorse any of those things, well, then you're just using the term differently from how Rothbard used it when Rothbard referred to himself as an anarchist. Now, he was more specific and said an anarcho-capitalist to distinguish himself from the tradition of anarcho-socialists, people who thought that property rights were a form of oppression and that in an anarchist society, just like you wouldn't have the state, you also wouldn't have private property, at least as it is enforced in the current world. Okay, so in any event, We're using that term, the state, with a capital S, and here's what Rothbard says about that. If then the state is not us, if it is not the human family getting together to decide mutual problems, if it is not a lodge meeting or country club, what is it? Briefly, the state is that organization in society which attempts to maintain a monopoly of the use of force and violence in a given territorial area. In particular, it is the only organization in society that obtains its revenue, not by voluntary contribution or payment for services rendered, but by coercion. All right. So again, there's a two-pronged thing that when Rothbard's saying these are the defining attributes of a state, it is number one, 
It attempts to maintain a monopoly of the use of force and violence in a given territorial area. And then number two, it's the only organization that obtains its revenue, not by voluntary contribution or payments for services rendered, but by coercion. Okay, now, on its own terms, let me just talk a little bit about those two prong things. So one thing, and this is almost grammatical, not substantive, is that Rothbard says, he says the first thing, the state's that organization which attempts to maintain a monopoly in the use of force and violence. And then he says, in particular, it's the only organization that obtains its revenue, not through voluntary means, but by coercion. So right there, that in particular makes it sound like he's just applying that first attribute to derive a secondary conclusion that's almost a corollary. And then that seems a bit of a stretch to me. In other words, you could imagine logically an organization that says we are the rightful determinants of the lawful use of violence in this region. And we're the only organization that has that authority, but we just do it because we love you people. Right. And we fund our activities because we have an endowment that was given to us by Klaus Schwab or if you prefer, (laughs) Elon Musk, all right? And there's no doubt that the money was raised voluntarily at the time and that we just live off this endowment and that's how we come up with these decisions that we render in terms of is this person a lawbreaker or not and therefore is violence justified in this situation or not? And we don't raise our money through taxation. So when Rothbard says in particular, to me that seems like a non sequitur just for what it's worth. Okay, so another issue with the way Rothbard wrote these terms out here is he says, again, for this first prong, it's that organization in society which attempts to maintain, well, actually, hang on, let me back up a little bit. Let's dwell for a minute on the number two. So one issue is, I don't think Rothbard was very helpful in how he said it in particular, because again, he made it sound like that second prong flowed from the first, and I think they're actually conceptually distinct. And then now just focusing on that second prong for a minute, that the state raises its funds through taxation. So here I'm not criticizing it. I'm just making sure we understand what it's talking about. When Rothbard says it raises its funds through coercion, that might seem odd to some people because they might say, what are you talking about? If you ask Joe Biden, does the U.S. federal government raise its money through coercion? He's going to say, no, it's voluntary. You guys voted for us. Taxation with representation. That's fine. There's no problem there. You know, taxation isn't theft. What are you libertarians talking about, right? And so I just want to explain that. And what I'm going to say here explains why a lot of libertarians like the catchphrase, taxation is theft. And I know some other people bristle at that and they think that that's inflammatory and incorrect. And they say, we're talking about that. No, we do have mechanisms in society where the public endorses their representatives and then they go through and, you know, the house introduces a spending bill and then there's taxation bills and and the president signs them into law and that's where taxation comes from. So you might not like it, but you also don't necessarily like it if your homeowners association says you got to take your purple car off your front lawn. But that doesn't mean HOAs are a form of theft or coercion just because you don't like the particular outcome of the way the system works. Right? So people do talk like that. So what the Rothbardian means, though, is, hang on, I never endorsed this system. All right? I was born into it. I never signed a social contract. And so in that sense, taxation is theft. And also, 
even on its own terms, if I don't pay my taxes, but I'm otherwise a law-abiding citizen, the state would agree, that, or the, the officials of the state would agree, I'm not criminal except for my failure to pay what, in our case, the IRS employee deems is the amount that I owed. And so then they're going to send people to grab me and put me in a cage ultimately. Like they can lean on the banks that I use or whatever to get liens on my paycheck or whatever. But ultimately, they could send people to grab me and throw me in a cage for not giving them the amount of money they think that I owe them. And so that's the sense in which Rothbard's going to say taxation is theft. And so the state raises its funds through coercion. So it's not necessarily the case. It's not in principle true that the state initiates aggression by, for example, throwing murderers in cages, having a system set up whereby they try to judge who's guilty of homicide and then say, we have the right, in our view, to go grab such people and throw them in cages. That Rothbard, I think, would say private judicial systems would get it right more often than not and things like that. But per se, just to go grab someone who may in fact be a murderer and then throw them in a cage, that's not an initiation of aggression. Where the initiation of aggression comes in is, again, by stipulation, suppose that person really is a murderer. Right? So the issue is going to just be maybe the state employee is going to get it wrong. Or maybe even in cases where they get it right, the process they went through to determine who the murderer was too risky to be justified. And so like you could best say, well, you got lucky, that sort of thing. But just like if you went out into a crowd of people and just took a gun out and just shot somebody point blank that you randomly picked, in principle, it could be a kind of thing where, oh my gosh, that person was a terrorist and he had a bomb in his pocket or a device in his pocket and he was just about to press the button that was going to blow up the bridge and kill 100 people. So by you just shooting that guy, you actually just saved 100 people. And so the idea is if you knew all that, your action would have been justified defense of innocence, but because you just did it randomly, you you know, so I'm I'm obviously making a contrived example, but I'm just trying to get the principle across. So my point is when Rothbard says taxation is based on coercion, what he means is even in principle, the state admits, oh yeah, it's not that we're only taxing people who are lawbreakers and who otherwise initiated aggression somehow. No, even we concede perfectly law-abiding citizens We are just saying, you owe us money, and if you don't pay us, then we're going to come after you and do things to you that violate what even we agree are your property rights, except when we decide you owe us some money to fund our services. So that's what Rothbard is getting at, all right? And again, any way you try to make analogies to come up with other situations that are similar where the person doesn't like the outcome and yet owes money, and we would say that's not initiation of aggression, it's because the person somehow endorsed the system by which that determination is made. Because if the person didn't, then it is coercion, right? you like, it's not that the mob boss can say, well, hey, we told them what the protection amount was and they didn't want to pay it. So they're free to move to a different city. It's just, if you want to operate a dry cleaner in this neighborhood, you got to pay us the monthly protection money. That's how it works. Everybody knows that. And so you can say why we don't think that's legitimate. So I guess this is just a roundabout way of saying Rothbard does not think that the state is legitimate and so that it doesn't have the rightful authority to claim we are owed this much of your paycheck. Okay. So now going back to the first prong, 
The state is that organization in society which attempts to maintain a monopoly of the use of force and violence in a given territorial area. Okay, I think the reason he wrote it like that is because, like, specifically to say, which attempts to maintain a monopoly of the use of force. Why he doesn't just say enjoys a monopoly or has, in fact, a monopoly is because you can have situations where, okay, so number one, I think what he's doing is he's saying, okay, even though the state says we have a monopoly on the, and he should, he, just a couple things. I know I'm, I keep catching myself because there's a lot to unpack here. One issue is, and I think in other places he does, because this is a whole book and he's just trying to summarize it here in the beginning in a pithy way. One issue is the state can delegate the use of force, right? So it's not so much that it maintains a monopoly of the use of force. I think it's more accurate to say what the state does is it maintains a monopoly on the determination of the lawful use of force and violence in a given territorial area, right? So the state can say, oh, if somebody's breaking into your house, you can shoot the person. Like maybe you got to say, get out or something, but no, if the person keeps coming in and it's not a two-year-old, you're allowed to shoot the person and that we are not going to come after you for that, right? So there, the state doesn't have a monopoly on the use of force. The person doesn't work for the state. It's a homeowner who's just a regular citizen, not even a police officer or anything. But the state could say in situations like that, that's a justified kill, right? And so it's not so much that the state's employees have to do it. It's more that the state is saying it's ultimately up to us to say a given use of violence or force in our jurisdictional area, we are the determinants. We are the ultimate deciders to say whether that was justified or not. Okay, so I think that's a little bit more accurate than to say the state itself wants to maintain the monopoly. Okay, so the other issue is now this attempts to. So here, this is a little bit weird. Like I could say, I, Bob Murphy, am attempting to maintain a monopoly of the use of force. And right now I'm in a certain city in Florida and anywhere within 100 miles of here, I am going to maintain or attempt to maintain the monopoly on the use of force in that region. Does that mean now I just created the Murphy state based in Florida somewhere? And it's, it's got a hundred mile radius. No, now you could say, well, because I don't have the taxation part, but I also don't even have the first prong. Like that's clearly not what Rothbard means. You got to do more than just announce something. So this attempts to, there's a lot packed into there. It's doing a lot of work, in other words. But the reason I don't think he said enjoy is because even if there is a clearly what we are going to agree is a state, like right now, is the U.S. government, is it a state? Yes. The U.S. federal government. The various state governments are that yes, but there's like certain regions in like Philadelphia or Maryland, I've heard, where it's just super high crime areas. And I've heard like there's certain housing projects and stuff that the police don't even respond to phone call. Like, you know, if there's a 911 call, they don't even go there because they know if we roll up, we're just going to take gunfire. And so we're just not going there. It's not worth it. So arguably you could say in that area the local authorities really don't have much presence and that there's other groups who effectively are in charge in that area. Likewise, like in South America or in Mexico, for example, I know that's not South America or Colombia, that the drug cartels, like there's certain reading, you could pull out a map and just say, or at least back in the day, I don't know how the situation is now, but there were periods where you could just pull out a map and say, this is the area controlled by the government. This is the area that the cartels control. Now, there's different ways to handle that. You might just say, okay, yeah, right. So the areas that the cartels control, let's just say that that's not really the state of Colombia doesn't control that. And that's something else. But 
you would still normally just say, oh, that's part of Colombia and the Colombian government, da, 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 right? Okay. So I think that's why Rothbard has that attempts to in there. All right. Okay, so now that we understand the definition, so th- that is a definition. Again, there's problems with applying or whatever, but the Twitter commentary made it look like you libertarians don't really have an, you know, a coherent definition. It's just things you don't like are states and blah, blah, blah. And so that's how you just get it. And, and no, there is a pretty coherent definition. Like I said, I came up with some logical issues with it in the application, but there is an attempt. Okay, so now to apply this thing, this guy's on Twitter said, okay, so it, once I gave the definition, he said, all right, well, if my friends and I fund a state to do everything that it does now, since it doesn't rely on taxes, I guess Bob will e- easily be able to say whether it's a state, yes or no. And I think he thought he was zinging me like, oh, I was going to be caught. And I was going to say, no, if it's voluntarily funded, then it's not a state. That's easy. And I think his point was, well, but what I just said by construction in my example, if this entity does everything that the current state does, it just so happens that we fund it voluntarily. Well, duh, it's still a state, Bob, because it's doing the same thing. Like, what do you libertarians care whether the guy putting you in the boxcars privately funded or raises the money through coercion? It's the same thing. And I would say, okay, so the definition is what it is. And so, no, it's not a state according to the definition. But now if you say, well, then isn't that a dumb definition? Because can't we come up with examples like this? I would say, let's be more realistic or let's think it through. Okay, number one, you and your buddies couldn't voluntarily fund a state anywhere near what the U.S. government's doing right now because you don't have trillions of dollars a year in income. And you say, okay, but what if you did? Okay, well, think it through, guys. If the U.S. government actually had to raise its funds voluntarily, by which I mean each person could just decide, not through voting for an official who then goes to Congress and then votes on bills and da, da, da. not that, where every two years you get the chance to reevaluate. But no, in practice, every year you send the IRS as much money as you feel it deserves from you. Or if each particular program you got a bill for or something and say, do you like what's going on in Ukraine? Would you like to send more money? If so, here's the address. Or you tell us, how much of your monthly paycheck do you want to be allocated to funding the Ukrainian war against Russia or defense against Russian invasion? If it was like that, or if it were like that, how much revenue do you think the U.S. government would raise? Okay, so you have to be realistic with these thought experts. You can't just glibly say, oh, what if we raise the same amount of money and the U.S. government did the exact same thing, but it was all voluntary? It wouldn't be. That's impossible. And if it were... You can't say, in other words, everybody would still be oppressed and hate what the U.S. government was doing with their money and it would be voluntary, right? So it's kind of like if I said, what's the definition of a mugging? Oh, it's well, when someone takes money against your consent and then say, oh, well, what if somebody agreed to give me the money, but I still stuck a gun in his ribs and said, give me your wallet. And he did it, but he agreed to it. Well, then I guess it's not a mugging, right? Huh? And it's like, well, right. It wouldn't be a mugging then. Yeah, but I still took his wallet. And it's like, well, yeah, but. If for some reason somebody really did agree to that, then it wouldn't be a mugging. And all of the bad things associated with the mugging would not be there if the person truly did agree to it. So likewise here, if for some reason everybody really did agree to continue sending the same amount of money, knowing what the U.S. government was doing with it, then you can't grab the current revulsion of what the U.S. government is doing and say, ah, we'd still have that. Well, no, if in this weird scenario we all were cool with it, then we would be cool with it. So it wouldn't be oppression. All right, so there's that. Okay, last thing I'll mention here, I want to keep this episode short, is the issue of legitimacy, all right? And this kind of ties in, like you may have read the news stories. I'll link to this, so it's bobmurphyshow.com slash 256. I'll link to this in the show notes page if you guys want to go look this story. But in Philly, I believe, 
there was a gas station where the owner, or maybe a string of gas stations in a certain neighborhood, where the owner hired private security. Guys had like Kevlar vests on and semi-automatic rifles and stuff, just providing security because customers were getting carjacked at the pump. It was just getting out of hand. And so this always raises quite like, gee, well, what if that group became the state or whatever? With all of these things, a critical component is in order to gain its status, the state needs to enjoy legitimacy in the eyes of the public. And so that's not a definition, you know, it's not part of the definition, but it is, it's sort of like with money, where what's the definition of money in the Misesian tradition? It's a commonly accepted medium of exchange. Now, normally when we talk about what's the attributes, at least of a commodity money, it's things like divisibility, durability, the weight is convenient for transactions, stuff like that. Like that's why platinum is not a good money, but also bronze isn't a good money, but gold and silver are good because their weights are pretty good for the you know types of transactions that are going to cover most affairs. But the definition of money is not easily divisible or homogeneous. We're just saying if a good is easily divisible, homogeneous, and so forth, it is more likely to become a money, to be adopted as a money. But that's not the definition. So likewise, the state is what it is according to the Rothbard edition or definition. And again, we can try to fix it up a little bit to deal with some possible problems with it. But then you say, does the state enjoy legitimacy? That's just to show how could an organization satisfy those two criteria? Because if it didn't enjoy legitimacy, if the whole country viewed it as a criminal organization, it would be hard for it to keep raising money through taxation, for example. And it would be hard also to maintain the monopoly on the determination of the legitimate use of violence in the region. Okay, so just as an application, wow, the, you know, the security firm for this gas station, what if they start just shaking down customers? You know, in the beginning, they're defensive, but after a while, what if they just start, say, hey, it'd be a shame if something were to happen to your car. Oh, you know what? We're going to charge a $20 fee to use this pump and that sort of thing. Well, competition, people would start going to other gas stations and there'd be rival, you know, say, oh, what if they just went over and started policing that? Well, why wouldn't the other gas station owner hire his own security force to repel them? Right. And you can make arguments about, well, what if they just all merged? And But again, if they were viewed as a criminal organization, the public would know that. And, you know, in the short time here, I'm not going to fully get into it, but the quick claim is the state apparatus rests on the public largely thinking it's legitimate. Not that they love what it does necessarily, but that they kind of accept. It could be like a passive, like, uh, it is what it is, but they don't view it literally as a criminal organization. They don't view it the way Rothbardians do. If 90% of the public were Rothbardian, the state would fall. And not because of a violent revolution, but just because people would not support it. All right. So, I mean, just for the state to exist, you need neighbors to call the cops when they see something suspicious. You need financial institutions to go along with the reporting. And so if it were all really just because people were afraid of direct punishments from the state itself, it wouldn't last. One of my favorite ways of getting this across is that's why in a totalitarian society, the dictator exercises such tight control on the media and the schools. If it were really just a matter of guns, then the dictator doesn't care if people spray paint subversive things on bridges. What does he care? He will shoot you. No, it's in a totalitarian society where information has to be tightly controlled because the totalitarian dictator knows how fragile his position actually is. 
And if the public got wind of how things were in other societies and learned the truth, he would fall. Even if, you know, he's got secret police and people get disappeared in the night and stuff like that. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. If this private security force guarding a certain gas station or string of gas stations started getting out of hand and doing things that were not cool, other rival firms would come in and say the other gas stations or even to that existing one, hey, we'll perform those services. All right. Or even if it was just kind of over the line, right? Like a customer comes up and tries to, you know, pumps gas and then tries to drive off without paying. And then the people just shot him up and killed a kid in the back seat. The public would say, whoa, that's bad for business. And then other security forces would advertise to other gas station owners and say, you don't want that to happen. Hire us. We don't act like that. So I'm saying in the beginning, when there's not a state, but there's just distributed agencies that have weapons, it would be hard for one of them to gobble up all the others unless it were very professional. It wouldn't do it through lawless, reckless behavior and thuggery. That would minimize it and the other ones would ally against it. Okay, so I'm not here proving it's impossible. I'm just saying it would be hard to grow and take over unless it did things that made the public generally support it. So last thing I'll mention on this, like I think it was John Gotti Jr. I was reading some crime book a long time ago and they would do things like put on fireworks shows and just really like neighborhood civic things so that the public in general liked him, that they had a good association. So they weren't just thinking of him as some thug who would shake down business owners or something. They said, no, no, he's a good man. And, you know, he, the media gives him a bad rap. And, well, yeah, he had to kill that guy, but that guy had it coming and did, 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 right? So my point is for a mafia crime family to become the state, they couldn't just purely be viewed as a criminal entity. They would have to convince the public that what they were doing was actually benevolent. And so that's why the ruling class relies so much on academia or back in the day, the priesthood, to convince the public that, no, we're actually a good entity. Because again, violence, the threat of force and so forth is not enough. You need people to believe in what the state is doing. All right, why don't I stop there? I know there's a lot of unanswered questions, but I will stop there and get feedback on this, and then maybe we'll revisit this in the near future. For the links to some of these things, I'll give a link to Rothbard and the Philly Station Go to BobMurphyShow.com slash 256. Hope everybody had a good holiday, and I'll see you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit BobMurphyShow.com.